Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and after getting back into the swing of things a fortnight ago, we're back once again with another episode and more importantly, another top guest. Joining me tonight is another Newcastle United legend and it's none other than Rob Lee. Rob, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show tonight and I hope all is well. Yeah, all good, all good. Uh, hopefully we're getting out of this pandemic now. I've been stuck indoors for a, um, like everybody else, for a good 18 months. But um, it's great to be back, uh, back in Newcastle now. It's been a long, long time for me. Well, that is my first question. What are you doing in Newcastle? I mean, as you said, it's been a long time. When was the last time you actually come to Tyneside? Wow. Uh, it, must be, it must be over, I think it's about two years ago now, I think, probably. Really? Um, probably, I, I don't know. I think I've done a dinner up there. To, to maybe a little bit longer, two and a bit years ago. So um, obviously been locked down for eighteen months, but it's been a it's been a long time. So um, no, it's, it's it's great to be back, and even the sunshine today. Well, of course, you're not just here on a social trip, are you? So there's work to be done at the same time. For those who are listening, can you tell us what you've got lined up over the next couple of days in Scotswood? Yeah, well, it, it actually started. I've been asked to do a lot of. Um, football camps or soccer camps over the years and, and never really appealed to me, if I'm being honest. Um, there's an old um, player that I played at Derby called Adam Boulder. He uh, was a youngster when I went to Derby from Newcastle back in 2002. Um, he's been doing some soccer camps in Hull. He's from Hull and in Derby. And, and it, it, it's, it's a little bit different. Than, they, there's a little bit of a test for the kids and they get little cards which they can go online and, and compare with other kids and you know, they can do it again in, in a little while, six months or so, a year's time, and, and see how they progress. So it's it's a it's a different way. So as well as doing a little bit of coaching with them, and and there's also these these five tests. You know, shooting, touch, speed, agility, um, which which I'm really interested in. And um, and and the, the kids. So Adam says the kids seem seem to love it as well, and they, they can compare with each other, and they can see how how, how well they get on and. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something I'm looking forward to because I'm dusting my old boots off and I'm going to give it a go myself as well. So, I guess is that the hook then? As you say, it's not just a case of turning up to a playground or a pitch and saying, well, here's an hour's worth of training. It's that kind of gaming element to it also. So the kids get a challenge, as do you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's first, first thing we had to do is get a venue, which um, the best was was very welcoming in, in taking us to, uh, to Newcastle Blue Star. Uh, God, it's been years since I've been there. I, I used to train near there. We've been over there with Bobby Robson many, many years ago, and uh, many he's he's done a great job there. And it's he's allowing us to use the uh, the main pitch. Um, so we've got great facilities for the for the kids. If it rains, we've got we've got shelter for them. Because um, there's all sort of things you've got to take in consideration of, of, of when you when you're you know trying to teach different levels of, of kids and we obviously do want to um teach them uh you know make them make them better but we also want to make it fun you know it's got to be fun i've always i've always been one of these players that um if i'm enjoying playing football and i'm enjoying training then i, I usually play better and 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 that's what we're trying to get to the cross of the kids is the fact that you can learn you can be taught uh in a structured manner but you can also enjoy it and that's that's the main thing they've got to enjoy it will you be looking to enjoy it just as much Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna love it. I say I ain't put my boots. I've got a bit of a all my twists and turning in, in the uh, in the old Newcastle days. My knees a bit dodgy now, but um, uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be showing the kids a few things. I think I'll be pushing a few of them over and uh, getting involved with my things. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, those kids they're gonna harbour a dream of going professional one day. 
and of course that's a dream that you fulfilled. So how did it become a reality for you? Talk us through your first professional contract with Charlton. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so changed over the years now. But when when I first I, I played as these kids are probably doing, I played Sunday league football. Um, I, I was very late. I, I went to academies, went to West Ham and Tottenham when I was when I was probably twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So many kids there, you know, just casting their net, and I, they probably still do. That probably still happens, and, and trying to get the best kids. I wasn't one of the best at the time. I went back to playing football on, on a Sunday and a, on a, on a Saturday with, with my mates, and I was scouted while playing for a, a local team, and um, went to Charlton. Played probably, I think it was six, seven months in their reserves and their youth team, and because Charlton at the time was, you know, was in the second division, the old second division, and um, got myself in the first team. Just just turned eighteen, and, and I was lucky enough to stay there. And, and I think it's a lot more. Difficult now with, with the kids. There's so many. I mean, I was competing against probably the best in the UK. I think the, the kids now have to compete against the best in the world. You know, the, the amount of kids we have coming across. Um, you know, the major clubs have got so many players. So I feel sorry for some of them. It's, it's very, very difficult, and they get. I think some of them get despondent. Some, some of them have got the ability. You know, I, I see players drop out because they just get despondent with not getting a chance to play. You know, so. Um, yeah, if I can help, um, if we can help any of the kids improve, and um, even even with just chatting to them and making sure that they don't get despondent, they they, they still enjoy playing because you have to enjoy it. You know, there's so much pressure on the kids these days at the young at at uh, football clubs and youth teams. So much pressure on them that it's got, I feel like saying to them, just just enjoy enjoy playing because it's uh, it shoots by like that. What was Charlton like as a proving grounds? bit kind of rough and ready as a club at that, at that time not the kind of hadn't hit the Premier League heights of towards the end of the decade or the end of the millennium should I say so what was it like playing at the Valley or well, no it wasn't the Valley was it really because you were what yeah I'm that old it was the Valley yeah I, my first game was at the Valley yeah and my last and I scored the last goal at the Valley which was you know at the time it was a um, it was an absolute dump if I'm being brutally honest club actually went was close to going under and uh, it was saved by um, a guy called John Fryer. Uh, unfortunately, the ground had to be closed. Um, Valley was closed for seven, eight years, I think it was. We, we were nomads. We played at Sellers Park for four or five years, Upton Park for a couple of years. And, uh, and I was sold um, to get the last piece of money back to um, to allow them to go back to the Valley. You know, obviously, I went to Newcastle in the well, I was going to ask that question because I kind of vaguely remember when I was about, I must have been about eight or nine at the time. And as you say, it was the kind of the last piece of the jigsaw to get Charlton back. I wouldn't say you were a sacrificial lamb, but you were a very valuable asset, weren't you? So it kind of made sense for you to be moved on for a good fee. Was it the right move at the right time for your career? Yeah, it wasn't as though they, they sold me when I, you know, I didn't want to be sold. I, I really, I, you know, people often ask me, why didn't you leave before? And I, and I again, I, I come back to the enjoyment thing. I, I liked living with where my family were. I, I enjoyed playing for Charlton. I was playing week in, week out. Um, and I never really had any aspirations to, to move on. And it wasn't until you know, I got to... We, we remarkably, with Lenny Lawrence in charge, we managed to get ourselves into the um, first division, or the Premier League as it is now. We, we stayed there for four years. Uh, got relegated towards 91, I think it was. And, and I, I realised I, I got to the stage at 25 that I, I wanted to test myself against better players. I wanted to try and play at a higher level. And the only way I could do that really was, was 
um, by leaving Charlton and, and trying something else. And and and, and the rest is history. I, I I was persuaded by, as everybody knows, by Kevin Keegan. It was a club in transition, but again, it was the best decision I ever made. Best decision I ever made. Well, it's fair to say that from that point, your career went from strength to strength. And, you know, the story of how Newcastle didn't win those Premier League titles has been told so many times. So I'm not going to ask you that question. But what I wanted to ask, actually, you mentioned the, the second tier. When you won that first division, as it was then known, in your first season at the club, did you get a sense of this is certainly a project which is going to go somewhere? You didn't quite know where it's going to end up, but an exciting time nevertheless. Well, I knew that the, with Keegan in charge and Sir John Hall, um, we, had, we had two guys who loved the area, loved the football club, and, and they were going to push that football club as, as far as they could possibly push them. And I was lucky enough that I, I sort of like, I managed to keep myself, the more better players that came in, I, I managed to keep myself with them. You know, I, I, a lot of players fell by the wayside. I mean, there wasn't probably many that lasted 10 years is what I, what, what I lasted. And uh, I, I just found myself more better players. I sort of like, my I up my game was out to play with them. You know, we, the first signing I think we, we signed in, in the Premier League was, was Peter Beardsley and then an unbelievable football player, unbelievable brain. And I learned so much from, from him. And, and, and again, then you're talking about Ginola and Ferdinand and, and Shearer and Spreo. And I just managed to keep up with them all. And, well, you must have done a good job because you were there for a decade and during that time you worked with some very high profile managers one of them or arguably the most high profile Sir Bobby Robson so when you're sitting under his learning tree so to speak just how much knowledge do you pick up under his tutelage are you never too old to learn as a professional you're never too old to learn never too old whatever profession you're in I, I'm a great believer in and you can you're always learning and uh, you know when, when Sir Bobby came in he, we, we were a club on its knees really you know I we had a rude hullet before and, and Alan wasn't scoring. Uh, I wasn't in the team and, and he had all sorts of problems. And he he was just a breath of fresh air. He knew how to treat players. Uh, he knew what to say. He knew when to make people laugh. He knew when to be angry and annoyed. He brought some fantastic young talent in, in, in you know, Craig Bellamy and, and players like Kieran Dyer he got the best out of. And he managed to, to turn that team around, changing it in, you know, we got to the FA Cup semi-final and... and you could see that he was, and he, and he, he just, when people ask me what did he do, and I, I can't even put my finger on it. I can't say his coaching was great. Uh, I can't say that he was, um, uh, his tactical, he was that tactically brilliant, but he just seemed to get everything right. He just seemed to know how to talk to players. He knew how to get the best of players. His man management skills was brilliant. Uh, and, and you wanted to play for him. You know, you wanted to go out on the pitch and you wanted to play for him and you, you would, you know, you'd, you bleed for him, and, uh, and I think that's what made him a great manager. And in the first half of your Newcastle stint, you were also in the England frame. Was it 21 caps you won? I did. So with those 21 caps, I guess the pinnacle, it must be the pinnacle, was a World Cup appearance in 1998. So unfortunately, I'm never going to represent my country, but if you could tell me and the listeners just how proud a moment that was to put on the famous three-line shirt at the World Cup. Uh, it was... It was... You know, the, it, you know, when you're growing up, and, and everyone will be the same, when they're growing up and you're playing in the playground with your mates and you've got your jumpers down for goalposts and you know, you, you're, you're playing in your head, you're playing at Wembley, you're playing for England, you're, you're scoring for England. And uh, you know, one of the proudest moments of my life, I thought it was way, way of me. But I remember Kevin Keegan, when I, I joined Newcastle after three weeks, said, you'll play for England. And uh, I thought it was mad. But... Uh, he seems to know what he's what he's talking about, but it's it's a it's an unbelievable feeling, you know, one that will, will never leave you. I mean, 
as you say, I played in the World Cup in '98. I, I probably, if I'm being honest with myself, I was uh, I was just a squad player then. '96 um, was probably my year. You know, we just I, I was playing probably the best football of my career then, and, and unfortunately during the Euros, I got I got left out of the the final 22. It was in those days um, by Terry Venables, but I think that was my that was my year really. I think I was getting. I was in my early 30s when the World Cup came around, but again, it was it was an unbelievable experience. I I, I, I would continue to play for England as long as I possibly could. So um, you know, I got I managed to get a lot of games in in a, in a short space of time because I didn't really start until I was I, think I made my debut when I was 28, and you got kids making their debut now. I think Jude Bellingham's just turned 17, so it's uh, it was it, I was a very very late starter. So you're a 96. What's it like to be that close to being in the squad? Did you feel personally that you should have been in? Was it a competitive time for players in your position? What does Terry Venable say in that situation? Yeah, I, listen, I, I just think you know, we, we just missed out on, um, on the Premier League, but you know, we had our 12 pointers, everybody knows. Uh, and I, I, I played probably in that season, second half of the season, probably not as well as the first half, but I, overall the season, I you know, got in the PFA team of the year. I, I knew I was good. I knew what I could do, um, but um, you know, unfortunately, it's down to one person to to make a decision to who to pick. Um, I think the person who picked to me was Jamie Redknapp, and if I'm right, he got injured after about a game. I think two games, never played another, kicked another ball. But uh, it's it's all it's all it's all about it's all about decisions. I mean, they they got to the semi final, but uh, I just think that was sort of like a, it was a kick in the teeth. Really, it's it's a horrible feeling. Uh, I feel for the guys that. You know, I, I had the opposite when I got to the World Cup. Obviously, there was other guys that five or six that got left out then, and I and I fell from because I knew what it's like. In a sense, is it perhaps easier to not be part of the fold of, let's say, that select band of thirty and be left to a side at the start, or is it you know you could be part of it and then you're not part of it? How hard is that to take? Yeah, it's it's very difficult. But I'd, I'd always rather be part of it. I mean, you always get the players that are always the the, the dead certs, if you like. You know, the Alan Shearers. Tony Adams, dead certs, uh, and then you got all the. So there's probably you know out of thirty players, there's probably maybe sixteen that are dead certs, and then you got the rest of everyone struggling to uh, work out who's going to go and who's not, and what positions we need to fill in, and um, you know some players have never had that, but I, I had that in, in both the tournaments I was involved in. It was um, you know sleepless nights of working out. <laughs> Will I be in? I could, I could, I could sort of like play there, and I can play there, and 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 I, and I saw both sides of it. So it's um, it's uh, it's, it's horrible when you get left out, but it's a, it's an unbelievable feeling when you get you get put in the squad. Okay, I just want to go back to the beginning and the topic of youth coaching because not only are you a ex-professional, of course, but you're also in that select band of dads who have footballing sons, two to be precise. So. For your sons, did it make it easier for their own professional progression because you've been there and done it? Could they lean on your experience or does it make it harder in a sense because they are Rob Lee's son and there's that kind of benchmark of what you've done in the past? So how did it work? Well, uh, yeah, I think you've got... It's, 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 a, it's, it's two sides of the coin. You, you, you hit them both right and you've nailed them both because, uh, yes, I, they can come to me and I can give them my honest opinion of how they played and... and uh, I'm, I'm, my sons will. I'm, I'm, crit, I'm very critical of them <laughs> most of the time. It's uh, it's nerve wracking watching them. Um, so they have got that, um, and I can advise them. I mean, on on different clubs and, and people they play for. But on the other, definitely, it's it's you know people judging them. Um, 
all the time about you know you're not as good as your dad and 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 these things which are very very difficult for for kids to take you know it's um so so you get you get both you know they've had plus points but also they've had minus points where you know living up to somebody you know I can understand why Alan Shearer's son never went into football. It's it's a, it's a it's it's a hard act to follow. I mean, if you look at it realistically, there ain't many sons that are better than their dads. It's always a question when I'm in a pub that that, that comes out really. And um, you know, Frank Lampard was probably better than his dad, um, but there ain't too many others that you can think of that are that were better than their dads. You know, it's it's, it's very difficult to do. Does that Come because of the pressure, because of that generation before that you are getting compared against your dad. Yeah, I think that I think there is some pressure. Yeah, I, I genuinely do. It just seems to be lots of, you know, especially with my era now. You know, a lot of my players I play, we've got their sons who have come in through. You know, Paul Ince's son showed great promise, Tom Ince, and, and they seem to have fallen away the wayside now. Uh, I mean, the only probably the, the exception to the rule now is Erling Haaland, who's who looks an unbelievable player, and you know, played against his dad Alfie, who was decent. But uh, it, I don't know. I, it's, it's a it's a it's a really really good question, and it's it's one that, as I say, just seems to happen. That whether it is the pressure of trying to be as good, or whether it's just other people judging them that they're not quite as good. Um, but I also think there's, as I as I pointed out before, that they're it's so much more difficult for them. It's they're, they're competing against the best in the world now. You know, there, there's you know, the Premier League is, is, you know, it's kids coming from all over the place now and, and they're trying to get the best kids in the world. And as I say, when we were coming through, or when I was coming through, I was playing against the best in the UK. And there was a few foreigners we used to come across, but there wasn't many. So, that, you know, a lot of kids now are falling by the wayside, unfortunately. So does having two sons in the professional setup still make you feel connected with the game? Because you hear stories of former pro saying that they don't miss the training but they miss the weekends they miss the locker room so being able to watch your children play at a high level does that at least fill the void somewhat nothing fills the void no nothing no <laughs> i i miss training i used to love okay training. uh i miss i miss playing in front of fifty-two thousand people uh nothing can fill that void um i i take great pride in, in watching my sons play um, and, I, and I'm very proud of how they've, how they've done, how they, how they play football, how they try to play football. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's, it's great to see them play. I get more nervous watching them than I ever did playing myself. Um, I think it's a totally different aspect of uh, looking at football. You know, I, I in my head, I wish they had an earpiece in where I could tell them where to go. And uh, but, but unfortunately, you just got to sit there and you and you got to take it. So it's um, yeah. When they're playing well, it's great. When they're not playing so well and they're getting a bit of stick, it's not so great. So there's always countless advice to youngsters and how they need to break into the game, what they need to do. But what advice would you give to parents of those children that are looking to break through? Well, I, I always say to parents, I get asked a lot. You know, my, my sons, as you say, come through academies and, and one of them was through West Ham Academy from the age of seven. The other one was playing Sunday league football. The oldest played Sunday league football until he was 14, 15. So I've had... I've had I've seen both sides of it, and the parents never change. I always say to them, just let you let your um, let your child enjoy playing football, um, because there's so much pressure on the, on the kids. And sometimes it comes from the parents, and sometimes it comes from themselves. But you know, to make it as this this, this footballer and, and make lots of money, and and 
uh, be these big stars. But I, I, I think I, I didn't go into football to, to make money. I went into football because I love playing football. You know, and I play I played football since I was forty. So it wasn't for me dodgy knee, I would have probably <laughs> I would have probably played on. <laughs> Uh, and start embarrassing yourself. But I just love playing football. I genuinely love it. And I, and I think sometimes the kids, that gets lost on the kids. And I think you should always allow your, your kid to enjoy playing. Enjoy playing with your mates as well. Sometimes they, they go to academies and the academy say, right, no more playing with your mates, no more playing for your school, no more doing... And you think... Just, and, I, and I say to the parents, let, if you want them to play with them, let them play with their mates. If, if the academy says, well, they can't come and join the academy, well, don't join the academy. If you're good enough, they'll come back and get you anyway. They'll always keep their eye on you, and they'll be worrying, saying, "Well, hang on, why is he not going to join our academy?" And I just think kids have got to enjoy playing football. You know, I think sometimes the enjoyment seems to be going out of the game a little bit. To be honest, Rob, I think that's all my questions for this week. So, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? I don't know if you want to plug the coaching classes for future reference or anything else. No, it's all right, mate. I'd just like to thank, uh, thank Stephen Best and, and, and Blue Star for, the, for their facilities. I've been over there, as I say, it's the first time I've been over there today for the God, 20 odd years, I think. Uh, he's, he's doing an unbelievable job with, with, a, with a great little club. Um, and, I hope, and I hope they get great success. But, um, and I hope they get some few players coming through because um, I think the North East is. Um, the football at the moment is, is not great. Um, Sunderland are struggling a little bit Middlesbrough are struggling for a long time Newcastle still waiting for a new owner so um, it's good to see that Best is doing something good with Newcastle Blue Star and um, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll, I'll get over a few games this season I hope you do well like I say Rob thank you ever so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure no problem mate you're welcome cheers now ok that neatly brings an end to this podcast episode just a quick bit of admin, and we're edging ever closer to the start of the seasons. So first up, a big shout to all who made it to North Shields last Friday. Not quite the result we wanted, but a great evening, it must be said. Of course, there are still a lot of pre-season friendlies to keep you busy over the next few weeks, so try and get down to them when and where you can. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. To wrap things up, I just need to thank Rob once again for his time. So with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>